Remember, Sabbath is created and gifted to us before the fall, before work became toil and pain and strife. It wasn't given just to go, wow, work is hard, let's get restored. It was given before work became toil and pain and broken by sin. The provision of rest was instituted for us, but it is also the final hope in which the gospel leads us. Welcome to the Gospel Chapel podcast. My name is Doug Dunbar. I'm the lead pastor here at Gospel Chapel. And this month, we are looking at the topic of Sabbath and the practice of Sabbath. This comes out of our vision statement that we're pursuing over the next five years, uh, that we would be a people that practice Sabbath and uh, enjoy the benefits of that. Uh, during this sermon, during one of the applications, I pulled out my phone and did a um, a screen time analysis of my own screen use. Uh, but I made a mistake there, and so the actual numbers there are that I spend on average about two and a half hours a day on my phone on various apps. And if you do the math with that, 2.5 times 365 divided by 24, that gives me about 38 days I'm spending on my phone a year. That's crazy. Uh, if you factor in sleep, which you'll hear somebody ask me to do uh, during the, the, this message, then that would equal uh, 57 days out of the year because you take 2.5 times 365 divided by 16, you know, allow yourself for eight hours of sleep, and that's about what you get. Uh, there's a lot of things that are encroaching on our lives that make us feel busy, make us feel harried. Uh, make us feel disconnected and distracted. And so we want to combat that with the practice of Sabbath. So let's learn about that more today. You ever think about how you experience time? How, how do you experience time? What are some of the phrases we throw around with our experience of time? Fleeting. Fleeting. Wasting. Wasting. Killing time. <clears throat> it slips away. I mean, we think of time in hours and minutes and seconds and months and weeks and days and years. We have all these tags around it. <clears throat> and that's how we talk about time too, right? We have, we, we're running out of time. Oh, I'm sorry I didn't get to that. I didn't have the time. Or, or you know, time just slipped away on me. We kind of have this interesting relationship with this thing called time. It, it drives our society, doesn't it? Everything is time-driven. You, you, you get something, it's like a, a phone call or something, and it's like, oh, you've got to make a decision on this right now. It's a time-sensitive deal, right? It, it's kind of a, an advertising pressure technique to, to use time as a weapon even, right? <clears throat> time. Interesting thing is that no matter who you are, other than the day of your birth and death, you have exactly the same amount of time as everybody else around you. 24 hours a day, you can't make time. And we talk about that too. I gotta make time for that. I actually gotta choose to designate time for that. You can't make any time for it. Does a calendar and the clock give you a sense of freedom? <laughs> I 
Like when you, when, you, when you open up your calendar, do you go, oh man, this is so great that I have everything so nicely planned out. There's a lot of margin and there's a lot of space and it's just a freeing thing to look at your calendar or to see what time it is. Yeah, or do we feel enslaved to the clock and to the calendar? Who's responsible for that? I guess, hmm. What, what would it be like if we just banned all clocks and calendars? We're going to start sometime on Sunday morning when people get here and the worship team feels like getting on stage and we'll get out of here when we get out of here. No clocks, nothing on the back wall to tell me anything. I ignore it anyway. <laughs> no alarms. I, I read some, somewhere this week that somebody said, you know what the greatest terrorist attack would be? Is if, every, if somebody could hack into every alarm, every uh, siren, every, every clock, every notification, and have the entire world have the alarm go off all at the same time. Because we'd all be wondering, what did I miss? What did I forget? It drives us nuts, doesn't it? The, the, the slavery to the clock... Well, it's nothing new, actually. A, a, a Roman playwright named Plautus in 200 BC said this. This was like in a poem. The gods confound the man who first found out how to distinguish hours. Confound him too, who in this place set up a sundial to cut and hack my days so wretchedly into small pieces. It's like 200 years before Christ is like, ah, oh, the the sundial is the worst invention you could imagine. <laughs> you know, clocks didn't even have minute hands until the 1600s. It's only like 420 years ago we've, we started having clocks every, you know, and these would be big public clocks. And, and then about the 1700s, they added the minute hand. And then the second hand. Only 300 years ago. This is, this is relatively new this time problem that we have and this addiction to the clock is new. The 1870s is when the first wristwatch came out. It's only 150 years ago. Now people could know the time wherever they were. About the same time we invented the light bulb. So now it doesn't matter when it gets dark. We can still keep working and going and darkness no longer the, the 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 natural environment in which we live no longer determines how we spend our time there's another we spend it like it's a commodity we don't have to stop can can you just imagine can you just imagine what life and your calendar would look like if you didn't have a clock and we didn't bother with light bulbs. You know, back when gas lighting first came in, uh, churches were the first buildings in towns to get gas lighting. This is, this is why the evening, Sunday evening service started, because it was the only building in town that had gas lighting, and it was such a novelty. People would show up, so the church was like, cool, evangelistic opportunity. That's the foundation of Sunday evening service. Gas lighting... And, uh, and an opportunity. That's a whole other aside. But can you imagine what it'd be like if when the sun went down, we just were at home? 
with our family. We weren't busy. We didn't have a crazy calendar of evening routines. What would that be like? Well, we can't go back to that, <coughs> but we do need to learn how to navigate what we've got and how time presses us from so many angles. Because you will either, you either master your time or time masters you. A few weeks ago, we did a, I, I did a quick survey on Sabbath and I had 59 responses. 80% of you agree the Sabbath is a good thing and it's important for us. One third, 33% responded to a variety of questions. This is just kind of macro view. You're not feeling rested. You're stressed out on a regular basis. You have no habit of reflection and you're too busy, stressed, and you feel life is out of control. 50-50 split, about 50% have a family a routine, a being together, technology-free, just being together as a family. So that means two-thirds of you need to sign up to become family mentors to help everybody else. Because if you got it figured out, your life is stress-free, and you feel rested most of the time, and you have a good habit of self-reflection, then the rest of us need your help. Or you need to sign up to Freedom Session and get out of denial. One of the two. We're talking about Sabbath because spiritual formation, which is the focus of our vision for the next five years, requires a slower pace than our culture promotes pushes and rewards. Robert Swenson in his book, Margin, says the societies that have the accelerator to the floor are doomed to become godless. Speed does not yield devotion. Speed does not yield devotion. Being busy does not equal discipleship. And we, we have a challenge in this because we are busy. Again, just look at your bulletin. We're busy. So we all need to learn how to choose wisely and prioritize our time. What I want to talk about this morning is, is uh, Sabbath in the light of our vision, light of our confession of faith, and in light of the freedom that God has for us in Christ. So first of all, our vision focus. This is straight out of the uh, uh, vision statement, uh, just half of it, and then one of the outcomes we want to see. Over the next five years, Gospel Chapel will intentionally slow down to make room for people to grow an unscripted community, enjoying God in everyday life and the practice of Sabbath. And while I was looking at that, I thought, a little tweak here, take out the and, the practice of Sabbath, and maybe write in or through the practice of Sabbath, because enjoying God is part of Sabbath. Unscripted community really needs the, the openness, the time of, of non-busyness for that to happen. Intentionally slowing down. All of these flow out of this practice of Sabbath. And we envision a community that offers common restoration in a world of conflict. Our world is chaotic. Our world is too busy. Our world is full of conflict. And the practice of Sabbath can move our hearts first to a place of calm and restoration that we need. Because this only works from the inside out. 
Now, practicing Sabbath just as an external doesn't really yield a whole lot. That's one of the things Jesus railed against all through his ministry. Everything was external, 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 but it was the heart issue that needed. People needed to rest in God's presence, not be so concerned about the minutia of all the details, of all the rules that they put on these commands that were so simple, just stop working. I mean, that's pretty much all of the commandment right there. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, stop working. Okay, now, now don't spit, because if you spit, it might raise dust, and that would create a furrow, and that would be like plowing, which is work. No spitting allowed. And there's hundreds of rules around the Sabbath when, you're, when you get into it, and a lot of them are, can't take more than 2,000 steps. Now imagine, you know, this is before you got, you know, your phone or your watch telling you how many steps you went. Oh, I'm at 199. Shoot, I'm stuck. I got to stand here all until the sun goes down. How many of you saw the Frisco kid back in the 80s? Harrison Ford, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder's this Jewish rabbi trying to get from New York to L.A. uh, during like the Wild West. And they're getting chased because Harrison Ford's a bank robber. And they're both traveling together as buddies. And so now the rabbi and the bank robber are trying to escape a posse. But it's the Sabbath. And Gene Wilder can't ride on the Sabbath. And the posse's coming and they see them coming. And Harrison Ford's like, get on your stupid horse. He's like, no, 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 it's the Sabbath, it's the Sabbath. And he's like, and then they see it's getting close to sundown and the sun's just about to sink. And and he's going like this, like, now, nope, now, nope, now, nope, now, nope, now. And then just as the sun dips below the horizon, now get on the horse and ride. (laughs) It's a funny movie, lots of language, probably not, you know, it was the 80s. (laughs) Anyway, funny movie. Um, We don't want to have that kind of legalism around Sabbath. We'll get to that at the end because there's freedom around this. So that's part of our vision focus, to be a people who can be calm and live out of a restored uh, heart, live out of a, a, a calm demeanor. And that's got to be an inside work. And Sabbath is an inside work, not just an external work. Confession of faith. In Article 16 in the Confession of Faith from the Canadian Conference of Mennonite Brethren uh, reads this way. We believe God's acts, act of creation provides the model for work and rest. In work, we use our abilities to glorify God and serve others. In rest, we express thanks to God, thanks for God's provision and trust in God's sustaining grace. In worship, we gather to commemorate the resurrection through worship, instruction, fellowship, and service. Notice this is all about God-centered living, and this is part of our vision as well for us as a people that we would live God-centered lives. Work glorifies God. Rest It gives us a place to express gratitude to God and trust in his provision. And worship is celebrating the work that God has done for us. The Lord's Day, Acts chapter 20, verse 7, very early, the the church began to gather weekly on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection. And then in 321 AD, Constantine issued the first civil legislation for all work to stop on Sundays, except for farmers, and they were only allowed to do what was necessary on that day. 
I've talked to a few of our farmers. How do you practice Sabbath? And they're like, yeah, that's a tricky one. Because, you know, cows, <laughs> they do stuff. Fences break. Anyway. Always on a Sunday, right? Right, be right before service? Yeah, they kind of know, right? <laughs> Anyways. <clears throat> in work, we use our abilities to glorify God. In rest, we express our thankfulness for God's provision. Imagine, I mean, this would probably be a radically countercultural thing if you showed up for work on Monday morning going, wow, am I so glad to be here. Can't wait to get into it. I am so thankful that I get to work here with you people. How many would, if you walked into the lunchroom on Monday with that, would people look at you weird? I'm seeing a few nods. Yeah, I, I mean, usually it's like, oh, Monday. I mean, my kids, right, school, oh, do we have to? You know, oh, it's the weekend, yay, party weekend, right? You know, and that's kind of the rhythm our world works on. That work is this thing that we're, we're just dreading all the time and we all hate it and we love the weekend, but that's not what God created us to be. <clears throat> now, some of you have talked to me and said, I had the best job in the world. Rick Gill's like, you know, as a kid, I, was, I dreamed of building roads and then I got to do it for my entire professional career. It's so much fun. You know, you go from playing with the little machine to the big machine, so much fun. You're blessed. <laughs> That's an attitude thing. That's a heart thing. That's an inside thing. We use our abilities to glorify God. Work is good. Work. God created us to be productive, to, to, to have dominion over the earth, to, to, to work with him as co-creators. In rest, we express God's provision and trust in his sustaining grace. You know, it's interesting, in six days, God created all the stuff and he called it good. In day seven, God created rest and he called it holy. Um, a, a quote from Abraham Heschel, a, a Jewish writer, um, and he's talking about Genesis 2.2, because in Genesis 2.2, if, if you read it, it's like, and on the seventh day, God completed his work. And they're like, oh, I thought it was day six, but... The, the text says day seven he completed his work. So here's what Abraham Heschel said, and, and he's reflecting on a bunch of uh, ancient rabbis going back to the time of Christ even. Obviously, the ancient rabbis concluded that there was an act of creation on the seventh day. Just as heaven and earth were created in six days, Manucha, and I'll explain that in a moment, was created on the Sabbath. After six days of creation, what did the universe lack? Manucha. Came the Sabbath, came Manucha, and the universe was complete. Manucha means rest, stability, uh, thankfulness, gratefulness. It's actually the same root word as the word Noah. Uh, Noah means, you know, when, when, when Noah comes on the scene, he's introduced, and his father, when he sees him, says, we're going to name him Noah because he is going to provide rest. Rest and renewal. And this is what this is about. On the seventh day, God created space for rest and renewal. And so this is 
a vision element. It's part of what we want to be as a people, a people who, who can live out of rest and renewal and calm. It's a confessional thing. It comes out of our confession of faith that we need to be a, a people who work for the glory of God in rest, giving thanks to God for his provision and in that gathering together to commemorate what God has done through us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Remember, Sabbath is created and gifted to us before the fall, before work became toil and pain and strife. It wasn't given just to go, wow, work is hard, let's get restored. It was given before work became toil and pain and broken by sin. The provision of rest was instituted for us, but it is also the final hope in which the gospel leads us. Interestingly, days one to six, there was evening and there was morning. Day seven, there's no evening and morning. It's open. It doesn't end. The rest that God created is to be an eternal rest. Put that together with Revelation 22, 23, where it says, and when, when, when the new creation comes, there will be no need for sun or moon, for the Lord is its light and the Lamb is its lamp. And there will be no dark. There will be no evening and morning. Because when everything is made new and when the eternal rest is established, the glory of God is the light and the Lamb is its lamp. Day seven is the ultimate destination, the rest into which God calls us. And so the regular rhythm of, of having a day of rest for renewal, for worship, in that, we're practicing for the eternal rest God has for us. Now, th throughout this work on Sabbath, Abraham Heschel says, if you don't practice Sabbath now, how are you going to enjoy it for eternity? <laughs> if you haven't tasted of the goodness of God now, what, what, what's your appetite for the eternal? So the practice of Sabbath is, is it's renewing us, restoring us now, but it's also opening our minds to say, God, you have a rest for your people that will go on forever and there will be no darkness. And in that chapter two, it says, there will be no more pain, there will be no suffering, there will be no dying, there will be no sorrow. All tears will be wiped away. We're, we're back to the Sabbath of Genesis chapter one and two. That's where the gospel takes us. It's a matter of our vision to practice and to live into that. And, and, and in that, it's really a countercultural practice as part of our confession of faith. And finally, it's also a matter of our freedom. And where did that go? I seem to be missing a page. No, I, it's right here, right in front of me. Vision, confession, and freedom, a freedom focus. In this, we also have to guard against legalism and pride. Galatians 4, 8 to 11. I'm just gonna read these four passages and then make some brief comments. <clears throat> the book of Galatians, <clears throat> Paul is having to write to a church that is being throttled by um, Judaizers, people who come in and say, great, you follow Jesus, that's awesome, but here's all the rules now for your life to actually really be saved. To really be saved, you gotta do this. You gotta be circumcised, you can't eat cheeseburgers anymore, 
and you got to follow all of this other stuff because, you know, cheeseburgers, like that's boiling a kid in its mother's milk, plus there's probably bacon on there, so you can't have a bacon cheeseburger anymore. Uh, you know, that's just not kosher. Here's all the rules you have to follow if you're really going to be a Christian. Paul says, don't fall for that junk. Galatians 4, 8 to 11 says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now you have come to know God, or rather be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Colossians talks about this too, that if, if you go back to following legalistic Judaism, you are denying Christ. And so there's a warning here. We can't, uh, we can't go into this whole Sabbath thing and say, here are all the rules that you must do. Again, it's not an external reality that's important. It's an internal transformation that has to take place. We cannot replace the gospel with rules to follow. That undermines the grace of God and it puts a heavy burden on people and it stops becoming the gift that God intended it to be. So we need to guard against legalism. Secondly, we have to guard against pride. Whether we embrace Sabbath and to what extent we do or do not, we've got to be careful that we don't exalt our pride. We don't look down on others. That we don't demand conformity to my view whether it's legalistic or libertarian, we need to practice freedom in this. And that's Romans 14, 5 to 8. Actually, the, the Galatians and Colossians one goes together. It's a warning against legalism. Ephesians chapter 5, 15 uh, to 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Make the best use of your time. All Redeem the time for the days are evil. The sanctity of all time. We have to determine how we're going to spend our time and where. And now to Romans 14, 5 to 8. One person esteems one day is better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be con fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. And that whole chapter starts out with, don't be divided over opinions on things that don't matter so much. Right? That's the whole start of chapter 14. Allow for differences and flexibility. We're not going to set out a, here's a whole bunch of things you have to do in order to be a good person. Christian and practice Sabbath because that's not what the New Testament teaches. We have to avoid legalism, we have to avoid pride, and we have to allow for freedom. Because the calendar cannot save you. As useful as a calendar or clock is, they can be brutal masters. We need to live in the freedom that Christ 
has given us. So Sabbath, it's a matter of our vision. It is an element of our confession of faith. And it must be lived out in freedom. So what are some things we can try out? I'm going to call this instead of applications, because I don't want to give you stuff to do. Um, don't want to get legalistic. But pick one. Four practice experiments. Just experiment with stuff. See what it doesn't do in your life. As we move from vision to confession to the freedom, try, try this out. Learn how to say no. Some of us aren't so good at this. How many of you have a to-do list? Okay, how many of you have a to-don't list? <laughs> try that one out. Next, you know, I am not going to, whatever it is, create a to-don't list. Maybe there's things that are just sucking the life and the energy out of you, and you need to just say, I'm going to say no to that. Or because something is more of a priority than something else, you need to learn how to say no nicely. Um, because here's the thing, people will not ever help you fulfill your priorities. Pretty much every email and phone call is somebody else's priorities for me, right? You need to, to, to discern what is important in your life and what, you need, what God has called you to be and to do, and then to start organizing your time around that. You are a limited being. Embrace the limitations as God's design. Prioritize what is important to you, not what is urgent for others. You know, Jesus said no to a lot of people. There were people who wanted to follow him. He healed them, and they said, hey, I'm going to follow you. And he said, no. I've got a different mission for you. Go and just tell the, the people in, in the area. There were people Jesus didn't heal. Remember the man at the pool of Siloam and, and there's all these other people trying to get in and Jesus heals one out of who knows how many? Or what about the man that had been for 40 years sitting at the temple gate that Peter and John healed? He was there for 40 years. How many times did Jesus go to the temple? As a good Jew, he went probably three times a year. How many wounded people did Jesus pass? You know, and then even within his disciples, he excluded nine out of 12 for very specific reasons. So Peter, James, John, come with me up the mountain. Peter, James, John, come with me into where this girl is lying dead. Peter, James, and John, you are with me when others aren't. They're gonna go pray over here, but you guys come with me into the Garden of Gethsemane and be close to me. Even Jesus limited his relational pool. He said no to people. Learn to say no. Try that out. Shut off the screens, all of them. I've been wondering what it would be like if I had a computerless office. I was thinking about this the other day. Limited resources, just the, just the books on my shelf and just the books in the library and nothing else. No email, no distractions. What would that be like? Screen time report. How many of you got your phones here? Pull them out. You just put yours down. Okay. Screen time. There's a screen time report on every device. Tells you how many minutes 
I've only got a daily average of one hour and three minutes, but that's starting today. I need to go back a week, see all activity. We're going to go back a week. I'm going to try to go back. Oh, there we go. Where'd it go? Uh, this week. Last week. Okay, last week. We're going to do some math here. What's your... Have you got that out? Last week's average, two hours and 29 minutes. Down 9% from last week. That's good. Okay. What's your top app that you use? Most used? Instagram for me. Last week... Five hours and 28 minutes. Five hours and 28 minutes on Instagram. So here's what I'm going to do. 5.28 times 52. That would equal 274 hours a year. Divided by, what do I want to divide this by? I had this written out, 24. That gives me 11.4 days out of my year. That's hardly any. It's pretty good. But, but, but even if five and a half hours of screen time, 5.5 times, that's an average daily use. Okay, average daily use, 5.5. You gonna do this math with me on your own phone? Okay, whatever your daily average use times 365, That would be 2,007.5 hours um, divided by 24 equals, well, that can't be right. 5.5 <laughs> times 365 equals 2,000 divided by, that's 2,000 hours divided by 24 equals 83.6 days. Okay. <laughs> but that's how many waking hours on average, 83 days. Okay, that's probably what I should do. <laughs> no, no, that's overall screen. That's overall screen time. My next app, my next top app is Cribbage. And then the next one's my Bible app. But those are like distant ones. So, hey, there it is. And Faith for Exiles, which is a group of us are going through and talking about this right now, 15 to 23-year-olds, uh, average screen time per year isn't much different than mine, 2,762 hours a year. Uh, of those that are regular churchgoers, that, that would include that, but 291 hours focused on spiritual content. So 2,767 total screen time, but only 200 hours on spiritual content and 153 hours even. It even gets smaller, and I think those are generous numbers. We've got screens everywhere, whether it's the news you watch, whether it's the TV. Billy Graham was once asked, what, if there was one thing you could change in your life, what would it be? He said, I would watch less TV. Get rid of, you know... TV, computer, I mean, that's just my phone. That's not me sitting in front of my computer uh, playing guitar or doing work uh, here. Screens are everywhere. And they're discipling us because if people are watching over 2,000 hours of content a year and yet only spending maybe 
at best 200 on spiritual content, what is winning out? All the other stuff. So one of the practices we're starting at our home is that on Saturday, the Wi-Fi router is unplugged. That helps all of us, myself included. I need that. Fourth thing to experiment with is pruning the activity branches. You know, fruit trees, you don't just prune once every season. You prune them and then you got to kind of, to get good fruit, you have to pick off the, you know, you have to thin the fruit. You have to reduce that load so more energy grows into growing the fruit well. And we kind of have to do that with our lives. We have to prune out the stuff that's sucking energy or the things that aren't maybe causing good spiritual growth in our lives. The the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. What is feeding those things in your life? Or what is feeding anger, dissension, and, and all of the other things, the fruit of the sinful nature, get those things cut off. Discern and the clutter in your life and be decisive about what needs to get out. Because your life right now is designed to produce the fruit you are experiencing. The life you are living right now is perfectly designed to produce the results you're getting. So consider prayerfully what needs to be cut out of your life. Because Sabbath isn't about adding a practice, it's a subtractive thing. And again, it's a heart thing. Fourth thing to try out, and again, you can just pick one of these and start, start small, baby steps. Practice simplicity and contentment. We buy stuff, we own stuff, and then it owns us, right? You buy the car, and then you got to maintain the car. You buy the tractor, and then it's, gonna, you know, how much maintenance? We buy a house and then we, the house kind of owns us because you got all of the maintenance. You know, we're seeing this, you know, you walk into, how many of you are parking in your garages? I'll put my hand down. <laughs> right, because we got so much junk. And all of that takes energy, diverts our energy, clutter, sucks us, Sucks the life out of us. So, normalize garage sales, dump runs, and thrift store donations. Try that. Managing our clutter is an epidemic. It's a mental and emotional strain. Why else are there so many shows on decluttering your house and simplifying? There's even like a, a magazine at the grocery store called Real Simple. And it's like, oh, these beautiful, clean, non-cluttered spaces. It's like, what? Yeah. Not reality, but it could be. Learn to say no, shut off the screens, prune the activity branches, and practice simplicity and contentment. Just try one of those. Sabbath's a matter of our vision. It's about making the time and the space for us to grow spiritually, to grow relationally, and to grow more healthy. Sabbath is a matter of our confession of faith that We are created and we have been given this gift of Sabbath rest that is to be Christ-centered and and fulfill uh, for for our hearts and lives a life of worship, a life that can flow out of worship and resting in God's presence. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. And it's a matter of freedom. 
guarding against the burden of legalism and the poison of pride, we can practice Sabbath when we know that it is God's created gift for us, for our good and for our flourishing as his people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning and thank you for uh, the world you have created us to live in, as, as our brother Abe said this morning. God, you, you created us to inhabit this space. But Lord, help us not to be overwhelmed by the space we inhabit and the time that is given to us. Help us not to be slaves to time and space and stuff. Help us to learn to live within the limitations that we have as physical, mortal creatures who need rest and sleep and food. That we, everything we need depends on your provision, really, when it comes down to it. Every breath that we breathe, every move we make, in you we live and move and have our being. And so, Lord, help us to come to that place. And may the practice of Sabbath just recenter us on the fact that you are the one who provides for us all that we need for life and godliness. And so, Lord, go with us in this week. Help us to live out of a heart of calmness and restoration in a world of chaos and brokenness. And Lord, for those of us that are living chaotic and broken lives, Lord, speak your healing word into our hearts and lives. Help us to, to find people that can come alongside us and help us through the difficult moments we're facing right now. Give us the vulnerability we need to invite people in. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your gift and your provision. May we learn to rest in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's stand, and the benediction this morning is from Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard or seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. 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 Have a great week and rest in the Lord.